Welcome to the Servants of Grace podcast hosted by Dave Jenkins. Our podcast exists to provide trustworthy expository messages through the Bible and faithful answers to your theology questions. Now for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, well, welcome back to the Servants of Grace Theology segment. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And today, uh, one of our listeners writes in, and they have a great question. And the question is, what is a false messiah? Well, one of the most significant features uh, of the beast in Revelation 13 is the way he parodies the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. In Revelation, Christ wears many diadems in Revelation 19, verse uh, 12. And so the beast has his many crowns. Christ has a worthy name on him, Revelation 19, 12 tells us. And so the beast wears blasphemous names. Christ has people from every tribe and language and people and nation, Revelation 5, 9 says. And so the beast assumes power over every tribe and people and language and nation, Revelation 13, 7 says. Christ is worshiped together with God in Revelation 7, 10. And so the beast demands false worship together with Satan. And in keeping with these counterfeits, John says of the beast in Revelation 13, verse 3, one of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. Now, parallels in the Greek text makes make clear the connection with Christ's death and resurrection. The same word is used to say that both Jesus and the beast were slain. And the same word is used to say in Revelation 2.8 that Jesus came to life and the beast yet lived in Revelation 13.14. And so Satan's beast mimics the resurrection so that the whole earth marveled as they followed Jesus Revelation 13.3 tells us. Now, most commentators identify this slain but resurrected beast as the, as the Emperor Nero, the evil ruler who savagely attacked Christians. Nero was a clear example of the self-exalting beast, and his rule was so depraved that the Roman Senate finally opposed him, after which he committed suicide in 68 A.D. And since Nero was not publicly executed or even buried, a legend developed that he had escaped. And now for several decades, including when John wrote Revelation, legends anticipated Nero's return to reclaim his empire and purge Rome. And since John identifies one of the beast's heads as recovering this, receiving this wound and being healed, it's argued on this basis that Nero is one of the Roman emperors whose myth held him to have died and risen again. Now, an even better interpretation of Revelation 13, 14 says that the beast was wounded by the sword and yet lived. All throughout Revelation, the sword is wielded by Jesus Christ. So under this view, the beast's wound reflects the death road dealt with Satan by Christ's atoning death and life-giving resurrection. And by the triumphant establishment of the Christian church in the power of the Holy Spirit. And yet the persecuting emperors, beginning with Nero and continuing with Domitian, represented a revival of Satan's power 
in a way that would have impressed those who witnessed uh, Christian's apparent defeat. GKBL writes, Satan's wound appears to be fatal, and indeed it was. And nevertheless, the devil's continued activity through his agent makes it appear to John as though he has overcome the mortal blow dealt him at Christ's death and resurrection. And while none of these explanations are conclusive, after all, we're giving, I'm giving only a brief answer. This isn't a sermon to this question. Uh, Christians can be sure that, that Satan and his beasts will can seek to continue to confuse and even mimic Christ's resurrection. Jesus taught this in, in Matthew 24, 24, that false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. And Jesus added that believers must not follow anyone who claims to be the Messiah, despite apparent miracles or resurrections, since the true Christ has ascended to heaven and will return only in the glorious second coming in, Ma- in Matthew 24, 25 through 27. And now John informs us that the beast has two agendas. The first is the gathering of false worship to himself and through himself to Satan in Revelation 13, verse 4. And history records for us what John anticipated. Equipped by Satan with the power to manipulate and even impress, the tyrannical rulers represented by the beast virtually deify themselves. And in the Bible, these words are adoringly spoken of God alone. And when God led Israel through the parted Red Sea, Moses sang in Exodus 15, 11, Who is like you, O Lord, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? The prophet Micah ex- uh, praised God for his saving grace in Micah seven eighteen. God alone is incomparable. And yet through the awesome earthly power of the beast, Satan basks in unsurped divine glory. Now, in his first epistle, John warned believers of false signs and wonders in 1 John 4, 1, saying, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God in 1 John 4, 1. Satan uses supernatural power to win false worship. He even sought to get Jesus to offer him worship during the temptation in the wilderness, showing Jesus that all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And Satan said, all these things I will give you if you'll fall down and worship me in Matthew 4, 8 through 9. Christians can identify the false worship of Satan and his beast when it derives from the raw power and the earthly glory, acting contrary to God's word and drawing people away from faith in the Lord Jesus. And so whenever we're, we're called to give unquestioned allegiance to a human ruler, we should see him as the beast behind which Satan, in his desperate bid to usurp God's throne. This is not to say that all government is evil. I'm not saying that. Paul used his Roman citizenship and, and often was helped by honest Roman officials. Now, the beast is seen when the government takes the place of God in our lives. Vern Poitras notes that in a democratic country, Satan wants people to look at the state as if it were the Messiah. And when the government is set forth as the remedy for all the ills, economic, social, medical, moral, even spiritual, and then idolatry of the state usurps the place reserved for God alone. Whenever we sing the secular doxology, praise the state from whom all blessings flow, we're going to be serving the beast. 
Now, John argues that the beast idolatry will not be subtle. It's going to include all the blasphemies that call for his worship in Revelation 13, 5 through 6. The beast may be a pagan who attacks biblical teaching or even an atheist who crafts cunning arguments against the existence of God. Today, friends, secularists demand that science have the last word about everything, including morality and ultimate beliefs. The Roman emperors assume God's place more flagrantly issuing coins with their own supposed divine image. Now, the beast also blasphemes through the church's uh, age through, against God's dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven, Revelation 13, 6. And the wicked slander Christians as Nero did when he blamed them for Rome's great fire in 64 AD. The beast will have his servants mock the Christian lifestyle amplify the sins of every prominent believer, and even rule cool, even the godliness and the holy Christian virtues as being foolish, vain, and ignorant. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, that Lutheran pastor who stood up to Hitler in Nazi Germany and was executed in a concentration camp, said this, the messengers of Jesus will be hated to the end of time. They will be blamed for all the divisions which rend cities and homes. Jesus and his disciples will be condemned on all sides for undermining family life and for leading the nation astray. They will be called crazy fanatics and disturbers of the peace. And the beast even goes further than blaspheming God and Christians. His first agenda is to acquire worship for himself and for Satan. And his second agenda is to violently persecute Christians when they refuse to give the worship that belongs only to God. Revelation 13, 7 says this. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. Notice it's against Christians as saints, that is, against the holy ones that the beast makes war. This reminds us that it was not for our sins and our many faults that the world hates us. It's because of God's saving work in Christ at work in our lives as the people of God. The Roman emperor's demand for worship connected John and his readers directly to Daniel and to his friends in the court of Babylon, Desposit Nebuchadnezzar, who set up a golden image of himself and required the, the entire nation to bow before it. And when Daniel's faithful friends refused to commit idolatry, they were thrown into a raging furnace in Daniel 3, 1 through 23. And John states that the beastile tyrants will generally succeed. Revelation 13, 7 says it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And so it was in the Roman Empire in the century after the Apostle John. Throughout the empire, persecuted Christians were driven underground while idolatry flourished everywhere. And so it was in China when the communists imprisoned virtually every Christian preacher. And so it soon will be in the Christian West where the advancement of moral perversion, uh, social justice, critical race theory, intersectionality, uh, they threaten to make merely reading the Bible a criminal activity. In fact, we're even seeing the rise of, of people in, in our public schools, those who lead public schools. They are becoming increasingly outspoken against a biblical worldview. And friends, we must stand up. We must speak out in the public square. We are called to make disciples who make disciples. Go read the book of Acts. You'll, you'll see, you know what? The apostles, yes, they ministered in the local church, but they were out in the public square. 
they were in and interacting in in the real world. We today we can utilize social media. We can we can do podcasts. We can do videos. We can use our voice in whatever platforms we have. But make no mistake about it. At your job, at the at the place where you go to the grocery store, and and on and on, you are on a mission for God's glory. And you need to ask yourself, how are you doing at that? How are you doing at utilizing your social media for God's glory? How are you doing it, utilizing your job for the glory of God, doing all of your work unto the glory of God and with excellence for his honor and claim, not for your boss, not for for the sake of your fellow employees, although you want to do well for them, but you live to please an audience of one. And we are living in a time, even post-COVID, where we need to understand this because things are not going to get any easier. Jesus said in John 16, 33, in this world, you will have tribulation. And I'm not even talking about whatever whatever view you have on the return of Christ and however that's going to happen to you, you think. It doesn't matter. The fact is, is we live in a world we live in a we are in a war in the now. And we are in a war against not against flesh and blood, but against the foes that as, seek to assail the truth of God's word. And yes, we are living in a time where Romans one seems to be very real to us. But the truth is, it's always been very real because the what the creature wants to do is they want to worship themselves rather than the creator. We as Christians do the opposite. We worship the creator who made us. He's the very one who, who's giving you the breath that you're enjoying right now. But you're also enjoying the grace of God in Christ if you are in him. And so I want to plead with you, if you're not in Christ and you're listening or you're watching this, I want to urge you to repent and to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus. If you're a Christian, I want to plead with you in a time of gender and sexual and moral fluidity, stand fast, stand firm on the word of God. And do not be ashamed to say that marriage is only between one man and one woman and anything outside of those boundaries goes against God's design. That's not a popular message. It's not a popular message to to say that the one true government has a head. It's not the president. It's not a dictator. He is the Lord Jesus Christ, the firstborn, as Paul says in Colossians, over all creation. He is the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, as the psalmist said. Dear Christians, stand fast on the word and on the person and work of Jesus Christ revealed in the scriptures. Well, friends, I want to thank you for listening or watching this episode of the Servants of Grace podcast. Until next time, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to the Servants of Grace podcast today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe leave a rating on the app, and share our episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to, you can follow us on Instagram at Servants of Grace 
on Twitter at Servants of Grace or by searching Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this podcast on the front page of our website at servantsofgrace.org. 